Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Four weeks. In fact, this is the new year of the church. This is the beginning of uh, the Christmas calendar. And uh, if you miss the beginning of a movie, you, you ever try to come into the beginning of uh, the middle of it? And I'm telling you, it's hard to get people to understand something if you don't get the beginning of it, if you don't get the birth of the Christ. And so uh, it starts out by this coming. The word advent also denotes the word wait. Say wait. Just those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, shall rise up, right? You know that? To wait. Let me tell you something. The culture around you is going to do everything it can to hurry you up the next four or five weeks. It's going to do everything it can to rush, rush, rush. I mean, they're already doing it, right? There's 800,000 boats sitting off the shore of L.A., and if you don't buy right now, you're liable not to get your Christmas presents. You better hurry, 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 right? If you're not careful, you'll be filled with so many Christmas parties. You'll be running this kid here and that kid here. And and, and the the very tonation of Advent is to slow down. It's to slow down and not miss the reality of the birth of Christ in your life. So I want you to, to push back and to resist this, this hurry, 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 hurry. I want you to resist that by intentionally sitting down in the next day or two and thinking about what you're going to do during this Christmas season, what you're not going to do. Sit down and think about what you're going to buy before you go into Walmart and buy more than you should. I'm saving you money. The very tonation, the very influx of uh, in, 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 intimation of Advent is to slow down. Not to miss what's going on. Not, not to miss this mystery that's being unveiled. Um, you, you ever, <laughs> maybe I'm the only one, you, you, ever, you ever zoned out during the top of the newscast and woke up as they finished the weather report? And the only reason you turned it on was to find out how, what, yes, tomorrow was going to be in the weather. I hate weathermen, but anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I, you ever just zoned out and missed it? Next thing you know, they're talking about who won football or something, or or, or maybe <laughs> I mean, you ever had to read a paragraph about four times and you still never got what? Or you've been in a conversation and you could see the lips moving, but you ain't got a clue what anybody's saying. You know, you can be awake and not really be awake. You can be awake, but not consciously aware of what's going on around you. And I really do believe that in a world that's driven by all these different things is that a lot of people just go on autopilot and they're not really fully awake and they'll miss the reality of what Christmas truly is. Uh, And not only its history, but the mystery of Christmas. You see, as I begin thinking about Christmas and Advent for all of you, I realize everybody knows the story. Every they even taken our story and used it to sell everything. And there's more Christmas movies, good God, and they tie everything to it. But if you're not careful, you'll just know the history and you'll never step into the mystery of the reality of how Christmas works in a tangible, meaningful way in your life today. And I want to try to take over the next several weeks and get you to step into that mystery. Get you to open yourself up to the very favor of God that he wants to manifest in your life. Because the Bible says that Christ in you 
is the hope of glory. And that the Christ living in us, not just the Christ we've heard about or the Christ that is out there, but the Christ that is present to you right now is the very hope that you have of a future and of a presence. And so to celebrate that and to lift the veil a bit and to step into and allow Christ to step into you and reveal his favor in your life. Would you stand with me this morning as I read the gospel out of Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. These are specific people in a specific place in a specific time. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed to her. Father, I pray this morning that this familiar story would come alive for us. That this familiar story would open the door through which we could step into the very reality of your presence. I pray, Father, that it would encourage us and strengthen us and grant us hope. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A 15-year-old girl visited by an angel receives a promise of a child and submits to the presence of the Holy Spirit. That story still grips me. That story still is the foundation of the hope that I have that God will step in and has stepped into my life and spoken words that will be manifest into my life. Just listen for a moment and let's pull it apart. God chose a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl, an unlikely child in an unlikely group of people in an unlikely place with an unlikely king and an unlikely shepherd. God chooses the unlikely, the improbable, and the unpromising people of the earth to fulfill his greatest stories. He chooses the least, the last, and the lowest to reveal himself to and to work his greatest miracles in. All the way through the scriptures, you can see God's choices of David, Elijah, Elisha, Gideon, three Hebrew boys. You see these 12 disciples that emerged from nowhere and yet changed the world. Christmas re-underscores and reiterates to us that God uses unlikely people in unlikely ways. You might be one of those people. God very seldom uses the Saul's, the best. He always chooses those whom nobody else would choose. Mary 
was engaged. You, you could say she was otherwise engaged. He steps into the middle of our plans and breaks them. He steps into the middle of what we've got scheduled and alters the calendar. He steps right into the middle of whatever we might be dreaming for our lives and interrupts us and invites us on the adventure of our life. He invites us to step into another zone, another dimension, another way. He invites us. And he does it with these proposings, these proposals. He doesn't demand it. He doesn't force it. He asks us. He gives us a choice. You see, I believe every year at Christmas, you have a choice. You have a choice to once again step into the spiritual realities of God or remain in the routines of humanity. You have a choice to just go along with the world or you have a choice to allow God to invade and enter into your life and perhaps impregnate you with his plans and his purposes. We have a choice. Mary had a choice. It could just be another Christmas. It can just be another holiday. We can just put another notch on our belt or we can expect God to do the unexpected we can expect God to do the miraculous. We can expect God to do above and beyond whatever we have thought he could do. We, we could step out of the familiar into the mystery. We could step out of whatever into the favor, the unmerited, the above and beyond. We could. We could actually experience. I can remember years ago I was praying and the Lord spoke to me and said, Quentin, you weren't my first choice. Oh, well, second's not bad. And then he said, you weren't my second either. You see, you need to understand that God has given this choice to everybody. He's probably given it to other people. And other people didn't hear. Don't be that deaf soul. Be that person that's quick to hear what God might be saying to you to start something new in your life. To start and create new possibilities of what could happen with just an unlikely soul in an unlikely place. Thirdly, she submitted to it. She surrendered to the Holy Spirit. She surrendered to this unseen, unexplainable thing, this voice. Do you understand that there, without the work of the unseen presence of the Holy Spirit, nothing happens in your life? The Holy Spirit is not the addendum to the charismatic Pentecostal movement. The Holy Spirit births everything and brings everything to pass. You have to embrace the mystery of this unseen God who's at work in our lives to accomplish things that we cannot do by our own resources. She surrendered to it. Always begins there. Listen, angels. I, I thought about it since last week. Uh, breaking news. There's a word from Gabriel. No need a drone. It's the sky cam. Breaking news. Hey, you're the one. Do you understand that we need to be living in a way that we expect angels to appear? Maybe instead of talking about Santa Claus, we ought to talk about angels. Maybe instead of talking about all we talk about, I wonder if we're raising our children to expect angels to visit them. I mean, how crazy is that? To have dreams about where to go and how to go. To understand that our lives are supposed to be directed by angels and dreams and voices from heaven. To understand that our norm, our norm is to listen to angels. Our norm is to have prophetic dreams. Our norm is to live in this mystery that's unexplainable. 
And I can tell you, after 60 plus years of life, everything in the 21st century wants to solve the mystery rather than just celebrate it. They want to conquer the mystery. How could this be? What? Rather than just understanding that our faith is built on angels and dreams and the Spirit of God moving through unlikely people to do improbable things. Wake up. The church is supposed to be filled with mysterious things. Christ in you. That mystery of God that lives in our lives to accomplish only what he can. I think it's an amazing thing how she and why she would respond. Listen, you, you got you to gotta get this. This is a 13-year-old girl and she only asked one question? Oh, you didn't get it. Have you met my daughter? Have you met girls? They don't just ask one question. They have a myriad, come on, how many of you are married? She's going to ask you myriads of questions. This little girl asked one question, not why, but how. How is it that this little girl didn't find it odd? She didn't find it odd that God would say, there's going to be a child. She didn't find it odd that he's going to be the Savior, the God, the Holy One. She didn't find that odd and ask, no, 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 because she was a Hebrew. She she had been raised to believe that the Messiah was coming. She had been raised to believe that there would be a child born of a virgin. She knew what Isaiah said. She was raised to understand that they were the chosen people of God and that he was going to come and redeem them and rescue them and that he was the hope of them. And even though they would walk through the valleys of the shadows of death, God would be with them because he's faithful. He's faithful to show up in the midst of their lives, no matter whether the Romans or the Babylonians. She was raised with the story of being chosen And she was fully expecting God to redeem those people. She understood that their expectation and their hope was in God. She understood that you could trust this God to be good all the time. Unlike the church today, they never questioned the intent of God. God was good. He had promised them a future. He had promised them a hope. He promised them a way through. It was not an evaluation of their behavior. It was more about who he was than what they did. She was living with that. She was 13. She had gone to Shabbat every Friday night while her father told her the story of this God that loved them unconditionally and would someday redeem them. I wonder if that's the way we raise our children in the expectation that God is good, in the expectation that God's going to show up and that we're going to be victorious. I wonder, no, I'm telling you, what goes on in the airwaves under the virtues of Christianity is this apocalyptic destruction, how God's going to come and judge you and send you to hell. That's the story that's being told throughout America. And that's not the story that Israel was being told. They were being told that God was going to show up and redeem them. And can I tell you, if that was their covenant, Hebrew says I have a better one with better promises, a better God, and that I can tell my children to expect God to show up and be their hope and be their peace and be their joy and be their love because he's the God that forgives and redeems and exalts. She was very open to hearing the blessings of God. Highly favored are you. How is this going to happen was her only question. Not why am I favored? Not why did you choose me? But just how are you going to do it? That 
was the only question she had. Hope. Biblical, faithful hope. It's not optimism. I've met lots of optimistic people. Optimistic people, they, they have a worldview that everything's going to turn out okay, right? They just, they're optimistic. But hope, hope that comes from God is based on the certain expectation that things are about to change. And that God will do what he prophetically promised to do. This little girl had hope. Hope that was not based on the circumstances or the surroundings or the pandemics or the panic or the politic or, or, or anything. But hope that was based on God's word. Hope that was based on God's promise. Hope that comes from knowing for sure. For faith is the things hoped for, the evidence Come on, without hope there is no faith. Unless you have a hope, hope is not I wish, I think, maybe Kansas City will win, maybe they won't. No, hope is certain of the things that God has said. How many of you are certain this morning that God has promised to be good to you, kind to you, that he's promised to heal us, redeem us, to lift us up, that great will be the peace of our children, bless going in and bless going out, that everything we touch will prosper. Do you know that's his promise to us? That he promised us that whatever we would ask, he would hear and do for us. He promised us that. He promised us that he would be one with us. He promised us that he'd never leave us, never forsake us. That's my hope. I believe he's true to his word and he's not a man that he should lie. This little girl knew all of that. She was raised in the religion and in the faith of knowing who she was. And so when the angel appeared, though she was startled by his greeting, she never doubted for a minute that the angel was lying. She never doubted for a minute that it was an angel. She never doubted for a minute this encounter with this unusual being that we don't even talk about. She never doubted that. She just said, well, how are you going to do that? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come. This mystery, I wonder if we've lost the mystery of it. And I wonder if we've been captured in the history of it that we fail to understand that if God chose the one, he chose the all. The Bible says he shows no favoritism. That in the choosing of Mary, he didn't reject Lucy. See, in our binary humanistic world, that if you choose Mary, then the other one had to lose. No, that's not true. That's only true in humanity. No, when God chose Mary, he chose all of them. Because if he treats one that way, he has to treat everybody that way. When he chose Mary, he chose everyone. When he chose you, he chose everyone. If he chooses one, he chooses all. To understand that if he speaks this blessing of favor to Mary, he's spoken it to the corporate, to the whole, to the... Mm. What happened when David killed Goliath? They all went free. If... Jesus died for one, he died for all. Am I making any sense? The, the beauty of the reality that God speaks to the particular, but he sheds it to the whole. And to understand that in that moment, she knew who she was. She knew her story. She knew the promises. She knew the hope of Israel. They lived in that hope. They understood that by that hope they would be saved, Paul writes. That hope is what saves me. That blueprint of the reality that God has that's not based in what I can do, but based in the reality that he's coming to change my world and to change your world and the ability to wait calmly for that. 
In Hebrew, the word savanut means to wait patiently, but not just to have a cup of coffee and wait for it to show up, but to wait patiently knowing what's about to happen and acting like it's already happened. In other words, believing you receive it even when you've prayed. To live right now as it's already taken place, even though it may not have been manifested for the world, it's a reality to me. To live in the mystery of the unseen and the unknown. To understand that while the world is celebrating Christmas, I'm celebrating the Christ in me and his manifestation of his life through me. To understand that we live as a prophetic people in a world that does not see to understand that the way we live is the sign and the symbol and the sacrament to all that are around us that Christ is alive and he's alive in us. To be fully awake, fully conscious of what God is doing in and through our lives today and every day. To understand that that's the story that we tell our children. He would have a son that would sit on his throne forever. David had found favor. Abraham had found favor. Gideon had found favor. Jehoshaphat had found favor. To have favor. To have preferential treatment. To be treated in a way that you don't deserve and you don't earn. To to, to expect the unexpected, the the, the miraculous. I, I wonder if we're living that way this morning. Did we wake up this morning and go, today's the day that the Lord has made. Today's the day of God invading my world and doing above and beyond, or are we just going to live today based on our plans? We're just going to go to church, we're going to sing a few songs, we're going to hear a sermon, and then we're going to go eat potato salad and watch football. How, how, How about preparing an atmosphere for God to interrupt us and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to heal you. Today's the day I'm going to set you free of that addiction. Today's the day that my promises are going to come to pass in your life. Today is that day. That this moment, Christmas reminds us that it was just an ordinary day with an ordinary girl in an ordinary place. And God said, today, today, I've chosen you. Christmas should be the moment that calls us back in the mystery of being interrupted that the promises of God are coming to pass. That a child shall conceive and that she'll give birth. That maybe today you will conceive of something And you'll give birth to something that will change the world. It's not lost on me that we live in a cynical society. We live in a society today that doesn't trust anybody. We live in a society we don't trust them, we don't trust them, we don't trust them, we don't trust each other, we don't trust him, we don't trust her. And you do understand that in a world of distrust, there will be no promises. In a world of distrust, there'll never be the fulfillment. God's prophetic word. You do understand that it is the enemy that is creating a culture of distrust and cynicism. That if the enemy can get us not to trust him and not to trust each other, then we fall from the places called Eden. The enemy comes in and says, did God say? Did they do? Did they do this? And when that distrust gets to a height, then nothing beyond the ordinary can take place. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. We have got to learn to trust God again. The Bible says, trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. And if I trust in God, I must trust that God brings people into my life that I lean on. Listen, you will die a miserable life 
if you fail to trust the people that God has put around you. You'll never see the promises of God come to pass if you live cynical, closed. I have reason not to trust, but I have faith that I can trust again. I have reason, we've all been disappointed, but listen to me, it takes a trusting heart to receive all that God has for you. If you read the Psalms, you can't go through one chapter of the Psalms without him saying, trust in me, trust in me, trust in me, trust in me. And you can't be trying to figure out who, where, what, when. You just have to open up your life and trust. You just have to do it. And and I'll tell you, it can be harmful. It can be painful. It, it, It can disappoint you. But the option is not to live in the mystery of God. The option is not to live in the prophetic utterances of God. The option is to get stuck trying to do it yourself. The option is to get stuck trying to trust the world around us rather than in the reality of who God is. Psalm 37, I don't know whether you're going to catch this or not. Psalm 37 verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. What have you been feeding on? What have you been feeding on? You've been feeding on the unfaithfulness of other people. You've been feeding on blah, 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 blah. Listen, I haven't got time to feed on how human beings let me down. I haven't got time to feed on how they, whoever they are, whenever you can figure out who they are, you can talk to me about they. But until you figure out who they are, please don't talk to me about they because you don't know who they are any more than I know who they are. Feed on his faithfulness. Faithful God. And we wait on his faithfulness to show up because whatever you feed into your heart will prepare you to hear an angel. It'll prepare you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. It'll prepare you to trust in the reality that God wants to invade us with his goodness and do what we don't ever expect. Hmm. That faith of living in that faithfulness of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 24 says, we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. For why does one still hope for what he does not see? We are saved by our hope. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm hoping for, and then be careful how you answer it. Hmm. Those two disciples said, we were hoping that he was. We were hoping that he was. Those two disciples after the death of Christ were running away because they were hoping that he was. No, they were wishing. They were wishing. When you really hope, you know it's going to come to pass. I'm hoping today for healing for Rachel. I'm hoping today for an entrance into heaven for my mother-in-law. I'm hoping today. Do you understand? My hope is that I know it's going to happen. I'm certain it's going to happen. I'm assured that it's going to happen. It's not a wish. It's an expectation of reality that's going to be manifested by a mystery that I have yet to explain. Today, to understand that we live in that hope, in that favor, in that knowing that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Peter writes, set your hope fully on the unmerited favor of God. My hope is set on the fact that God's going to treat me in a way that I don't deserve. He's going to treat me in a way that I haven't earned. Christmas, then, is the manifestation of the favor of God. Are you expecting God to manifest his favor in your life today, tomorrow, the next day? 
I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be surprised by his favor. I'm going to wake up the next day and be surprised by his favor. Uh-uh. Hmm. I've got to be careful. I get ahead of myself. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm believing God for his favor. I know his favor is going to manifest himself in my life and through me. This little girl who heard from angels, who was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, is the shining example of how we live as believers who can conceive the unimaginable. Do you understand that if you can believe it, you can conceive it? And if you can conceive it, you can receive it. To believe is to conceive the favor of God being manifested in your life in a miraculous way so that all that God has promised to Israel becomes yours and yours becomes Israel's. To the people around us, it just takes one person in this room to have faith to receive. It just takes one person in this room to believe in the supernatural of God, to manifest in your life the very miracles of God. Christmas is a time to recover the reality that God wants to do that miraculous for you. I wanted to save this story till Christmas Eve. I searched for this story and I wanted to save it to then, but the Lord's telling me I got to tell you as we begin Christmas. There was a rich man and he had one son and the rich man loved art. And he raised his son to know beauty. And so his son became very good at detecting beautiful things and beautiful art. And so they begin to buy Van Goghs and Rembrandts, expensive paintings, to where the home of the old man became one of the greatest museums of the world. And people would come from all over the world to look at the beauty that hung on the walls of his castle. And war broke out in the land in which they lived, and the son was a faithful son. So he went off and he joined the war to protect his nation. And a few days there, he was killed. And they came and told the old man that his son had died. The son got very depressed, or the father got very depressed. And one day, maybe Christmas, there was a knock at the door, and another soldier was there with a package. And he told the old man, he said, I just wanted to come and tell you how your son was killed. Your son was rescuing people. I was one that he rescued. He carried me out of the fray of the fight and I lay in the hospital. Your son saved many that day before his life was taken. And while I lay in the hospital, he said, I remembered that he liked art. And he said, I'm a bit of a painter, not much. But he said, I painted this picture of your son. And I know it's not very good, but it's the way I remembered him. And it broke the depression of the old man. And the old man took the picture of this amateur painting of his son and he hangs it above the mantle moves the Van Goghs and the Rembrandts. And that picture of his son brought healing to his depression. Eventually the old man got ill, died, and his will was read. All of his art was to be auctioned off to the highest bidder. So it was sent out and the auctioneer came and people from all over the world came to buy the Van Goghs and the Rembrandts. And the old auctioneer got up and said, well, before I can sell those paintings, I have to auction off this favorite picture of the old fella. It's the picture of his son. And everybody in the room starts mumbling. They've come from all over the world to buy Van Goghs and Rembrandts. And they've got to insult us with this amateur painting of the old man's son. 
And the auctioneer said, can I have a bid? Can I get $100? And no one would bid. And finally, the next door neighbor said, well, you know, I kind of liked the son. He was a good boy. I'll give you $10. Anybody else? Get no, no. Going once, going twice. Sold. The old man gets the, the neighbor gets the picture. And the auctioneer says, auction is closed. Everybody gets mad. He goes, no, no, the will says that whoever buys the son gets it all. We're 25, 28 days from Christmas. But if you make up your mind to receive what the angel said, you are blessed and highly favored. I've come to give you my son. I've come to give you my son. Christmas is about receiving Jesus into the flesh, the word, the promise, the prophecy that would come and sit in your body, in your soul, and in your thoughts, in your meditations, in your prayers, in your hands, in your feet, that Christ would move through you. That's the hope of the world is that Christ would manifest not just through the 15-year-old girl in Bethlehem, but through you in Hutchinson, through you wherever you are at. That if you would receive the Son, the beauty of God belongs to you. And that beauty comes through you to a world that I tell you is ugly and depleted today of beauty. You are the light of the world. You are the manifestation of the Christ, not just in Israel 2,000 years ago, but today. It's more than a history lesson. It's the mystery about how Christ is continually coming through each one of us. That's the story we have to tell our children. That's the hope of this moment. We don't come together together just to get we come together together to remember that we are the hope. The Christ through us changes everything. In the next 30 days, I promise you, the world is going to be more open. It's going to be more open. People are going to listen just a little more. They're going to pay attention just a little more. Their hearts are going to soften. It's one of the greatest moments of evangelism that there is. It's one of the greatest, I, I promise you, a $5 coffee card will, will bring a smile to somebody's face. I, I promise you, a turkey that you can go buy delivered to a next door neighbor will change their world when it's done with the love and the compassion of the Christ. You see, Christmas is a mystery that takes on practical ways of expression. It's a mystery, but through us it becomes tangible and touchable and meaningful, and real. It's not just something to be seen and remembered in history. It's something to be made manifest in this moment, in this season, and in this time. It's not lost on me that on December the 4th of 1986, Annie and I moved to Hutchinson, Kansas. It missed me at the time that it was Advent, but it not missed on me since that in the midst of Advent, God always does new things. 
He makes great changes. He manifests great things. Generally, this time of the year, I begin to pray over what God is saying about the next season, about what I'm supposed to kind of lean into next year for you and for others. And it was interesting. I couldn't sleep all night. I woke Annie up about midnight, and I couldn't sleep. And, uh, and somewhere about 4 o'clock this morning, I wrote this down. For you have not, you, for you have seen nothing yet. You have not yet to understand all that I have in store for you. For the days that lie ahead of you will be extraordinary, out of the ordinary, the improbable, the unthinkable, the unimaginable. That's what I'm going to do to you and through you. Things that have been, you have been afraid to ask, things that you couldn't grasp, will become abundantly clear in the next year. The norm, the unlikely, will become the day in, day out stuff of the miraculous. Lift up your eyes and all that I have promised is about to surprise you. For your days will be filled with the extraordinary, filled with favor, filled with wonder. Sit up, be alert. Your future is filled with favor and goodness and glory. Father's house, I believe the next seasons of our lives are going to be filled with his favor, with the extraordinary, the out of the ordinary. Don't look to the world to determine what this time is for you. The world may go through a difficult moment. The world may shudder in darkness. But Isaiah says the glory of the Lord will be upon you. I'm here to tell you we can live in the mystery. We can live in the favor of God even when there's Roman occupation, even when there's difficult things happening in the world with another variant. Oh my God. Can I tell you, don't listen to that. Hear this little preacher in the middle of America. I believe that God has come to favor you and that it is not a rejection of anybody else. It's for anybody who will hear it. It's for all who will understand it. That God wants to manifest his promises, his favor and his goodness in your life. Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Yeah.